0: high inflation is causing all sorts of problems at the moment and the pension experts on medics money and elsewhere are particularly worried about the effect of this high inflation on the pensions tax charges for some doctors so on today's podcast we give you a really good summary of who it affects and what you need to do if you're enjoying these podcasts then don't forget to hit subscribe and new episodes are released every tuesday and you'll be the first to find out about them if you're really enjoying them it would really help us if you could leave a rating and a review because that helps other doctors to find them but the main thing that helps other doctors to find it and has led to over 300,000 downloads of this podcast now is just by telling your colleagues about it especially if you think they might be affected by today's problem so thank you so much to all of you for listening and for your support. Let's get into today's pretty technical, but very important episode. The Medic's Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantillow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. On today's podcast, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the Medics Money podcast, Mr. Andrew Powell. Hi, Andy. Hi, Tommy. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Now, regular listeners will be very familiar with you because you're on the podcast a lot. But do you want to just give yourself the intro and tell us why you're very qualified to talk about today's very technical subject?
1: Yeah, so I'm Andy Powell. I'm a healthcare specialist at Mazar's. My specialism is GP accounts, tax and consultant accounts and tax. But I've also got a strong interest in the NHS pension scheme and the interaction of tax with that. I'm also a board member on the Association of Independent Specialist Medical Accountants. And my role on that board is partly around lobbying And working with the likes of the BMA and NHS and other organisations when we come across issues that we think will impact on the profession.
0: Yeah. And if you want to know more about ASMA, listen to episode 105, where we did a sort of random podcast from the ASMA conference. So... There's been a lot of concern from NHS pensions experts like yourself recently about the effect of inflation, especially on GP partners. So why is inflation so important for GP pensions?
1: So I mean, the first thing is really when we talk about inflation, what is inflation? Inflation is just a general increase in prices. I think everyone will notice that at the moment. It reduces your purchasing power of the money you've got in your pocket. And There's various measures of this CPI, RPI, RPI X. It keeps going on. But the one we're really interested in is CPI, which is the Consumer Prices Index. It's the most common one now currently used. And why that interacts with the NHS pension, it interacts. It's important for so many different reasons. You know, firstly, if you're a GP, basically the way your pension accrual works, and a pension accrual is how you grow your pension, is that you're in a career average earnings scheme in all the sections of the scheme. Year one, you earn £100,000, for example, so your pension will be based on £100,000. Year two, what you do is the, the NHS pension increases that £100,000 by inflation but also by a further 1.5%, and you had a second year's worth of income on it. And it keeps going on th- throughout your career. And ultimately, your pension is based on this notional pot times the percentage. So it's important in terms of it keeps your pension inflation protected and also grows it. If you're a consultant or a junior doctor, slightly differently in the sections of the scheme you were in or are in change. 2015 scheme is exactly the same as GPs. For the 1995 and 2008 scheme, both those schemes which are now closed still though have a connection to your final salary. So inflation doesn't necessarily impact as much on the 95 and 2008 scheme for hospital doctors, but it does the 2015 scheme, albeit as clearly an issue at the moment in that if your pay is not keeping abreast with inflation, clearly the pension growing in the 95 and 2008 scheme will also not be keeping abreast with inflation, which is one of the things that comes out of the recent pay award discussion. It's also important from the perspective of the annual allowance pension tax charge. If you have been caught by this previously, then you won't be aware of it, but we'll go into what it is in a bit more detail. But that also gives you an element of inflation protection because HMRC allows you to keep your benefits increased by inflation. And just lastly, you know, for, for eventually when you do get to retirement, another important point to note is when your pension is finally in payment, that also gets uplifted each year by the CPI inflation. So inflation impacts on lots of different areas of the pension.
0: Yeah, I think. And that distinction between the GP pension scheme or the practitioner scheme, as it's sometimes called, and the consultants and junior doctors, hospital doctors scheme officer is pretty key to understand. But can we just take a small step back, because we went in pretty fast there, and just go through how does the annual allowance get calculated? Because it's pretty complicated and it's not the same for NHS pensions as it is for private pensions or DC defined contribution pensions.
1: Yes. So the NHS... NHS is what's called a defined benefits, which is different from the one you mentioned, which is defined contribution scheme. So let's just quickly step back, take someone in like me, an accountant. I'm unfortunately not a member of the NHS scheme. My contributions go into a private pension. So my measurement for annual allowance is basically how much I contribute to the scheme. For the NHS, it's different. And the NHS is a defined benefit scheme. So it's not based on contributions and It's one of the things most often people don't understand this including members of the treasury most recently, but it's not based on your contributions paid. It's basically based on the growth that happens in your pension scheme over a one-year period over the tax year from the 6th of April to the 5th of April. And essentially what you have to do is first and foremost, most people get a £40,000 allowance, which sounds a fantastically big sum to pay into pensions. And if you're below that £40,000 allowance, then you don't have any issue. A slight caveat to that, if you are in the lucky position to earn over £200,000, unfortunately that £40,000 limit starts to come down, but probably not something we're going to talk about too much today because it's less relevant to the inflation question. But you get a £40,000 allowance each year. And the way it works simply for the NHS pension is how the maths works, is you look at the opening pension that you have built up. HMRC then allow you to uplift that by inflation. And the inflation point they use is the September in the tax year that came before the start of the year they're looking at. So if we're looking at 21-22, so that's 6th of April 21 to the 5th of April 22, HMRC uplift your opening benefits by the inflation figure, the CPI inflation figure in September 2020. Okay, so first thing, they uplift the opening figure and then you compare the closing figure and that gives you the growth in year. And you multiply that growth by 16. Now, usually at this point, someone says, why 16? Okay, and usually at this point I go, it just is. Just go with me on this one. Someone's come up with 16 in a dark room and actually somewhere's come up with it. Someone's assessed it. It's always been 16 for a long, long time. And just putting some numbers around that. So if you had a pension 6th of April, 21 of £10,000, built up in the, to date in your NHS pension and CPI in September 2020 was 3.1% in this case so the opening figure gets uplifted by 3.1%. If at the end of the year your pension is now 13,500 because you've had another year's worth of earnings and another year's worth of inflationary uplift then you compare the 13,500 with the opening figure which in this case gives you a growth of 3,190. You multiply that by 16 which gives you a theoretical growth of £51,040. You compare that with the 40000 allowance and you can clearly see you've gone over the allowance. So any excess is then potentially taxed on you at 40% or 45%, even if you have never received that money yourself, because it's just all tied up in the pension. You are allowed to go back the previous three years. So you are allowed to go back and just check if you've got any unused relief in those previous three years. So if For example, the previous year was 35,000 growth, you got 5,000 under the 40,000 limit. So you can offset that against your current year's growth. But essentially, over time, we find that most GPs, particularly, have used up most of their prior year's allowances. Most consultants have as well. Less relevant to your junior doctors because their income levels are clearly at lower levels and they won't have built up that pension. So, really, yeah, you look at the growth in the pension, adjust for HMRC inflation multiply it by 16 and compare with £40,000.
0: Yeah, so I think it's really important to clarify that because, yeah, the growth in the annual allowance for a defined benefit scheme like the NHS is the growth, and that is calculated, as you just outlined, and I'm not going to repeat that, but it's got something to do with number 16 and inflation because, we and you alluded to this earlier, maybe some of the Treasury don't understand that. We'll talk about that in a bit. Okay, so that's how the growth is calculated, but why is high inflation a problem for that calculation specifically at the moment?
1: Okay, so what we've essentially got is a disconnect going on in inflation. And partly this is just how the legislation was written. The legislation was written yeah, probably, well, it's definitely over 10 years ago now. So at times when we didn't really have or foresee these sort of really spiky inflation periods that we're currently going through. But if it goes back to the calculation, so just quickly, as you recall, what I've just said, HMRC uplift the opening value based on the inflation in the September before the beginning of the tax year. The issue, though, is when you're looking at your pension growth, and if you remember your pension growth gets protected from inflation, the pensions growth uses the CPI inflation during the tax year. So we look at 21-22, for example, your pension will get uplifted based on the CPI that happened in September 21, whereas HMRC are allowing you uplift for September 20. Now, if inflation was static, level, et cetera, you're comparing exactly the same. So 2% at the beginning of the year, 2% next year, there's been no movement, no inflationary uplift. But at the moment, we've essentially gone from CPI in September 20 of 0.5% to September 21 of 3.1%. At the time of recording, CPI is 9.4%. And you know, it's forecast by September to go up beyond 10%. So you can see there that, you know, if you look for 22-23 tax year, the pensions agency will uplift by 10% plus an extra one and a half percent because you just allowed that. And HMRC are uplifting by 3.1%. So if you've got a sizable pension that's been built up, essentially, you've got quite a high inflationary growth, which you're going to get taxed on, which you never would have been taxed on if they'd used the same year's inflation for both sides of the equation. So what we're seeing is particularly for GPs because GPs have been in this career average scheme longer that they are going to see quite you know, significant rise in the annual allowance calculation. And when I say significant, you know we are getting in six figure growth figures for 2022, 23 for a lot of people. There are two factors to consider there. Firstly, you know it is partly driven by the amount you earn. So the more you earn. The more sessions you work, the higher profitable practice you are, the more hours of hours you do. Automatically, that gives you pension growth in the year. But the second point is this legacy bit that you've built up. That's the bit that's massively being affected by inflation. And that's the bit that's going to hit home now. To a certain extent, you know, you would hope it's a bit of a short term issue and eventually inflation will come down. I think your guess on that, Tommy, is as good as mine as to how quickly it will come down. So when it does come down, eventually we will have periods where actually growth is lower than perhaps the underlying real growth is. So that will benefit people. But there is also a further concern there is you can get a situation, you know, if we went from 10% down back to where it was 2%, you will have a position where actually probably in the following year, you won't just have growth, you'll actually have in this calculation, this theoretical calculation, negative growth, so your pension in theory will be worth less than HMRC say it is. And the issue there is negative growth you're not allowed to use that anywhere. It's just deemed as zero. So you're not allowed to offset that negative growth against previous years or high growth in future years. So essentially, what we've got is people are going to get taxed as inflation goes up. And when inflation comes down, they're not going to get the tax-free for it, potentially. And that's really the problem. It's the disconnect that's the problem, which is causing a really sizable, spiky problem for GPs in the main at the moment.
0: Yeah. And I think we answered this really, but what types of doctors are most impacted? Is it everyone? And what could happen in the future?
1: So if you've got a high earning GP, a high earning GP has generally always been affected and they will continue to be affected by annual allowance. If you have a lower earning GP, they can still be affected if they have built up a sizable pension. And we're talking really, you know, probably people in their late 40s, early 50s. It's quite common to, you know, have built up a good pension by that point in time. But you may only be working four or five sessions a week. So under the old, you know, when inflation was static, these people way below the 40,000 level, weren't even on our radar as having a problem, and all of a sudden, they go to having a problem. So it's your older people, because they have a more sizable benefit accrual. I think I would just comment on the hospital side of things. As I said, junior doctors, less so to worry about this. So, you know, I would say to that group, you've probably got bigger issues around your pay award that you need to tackle, which I know has been covered on a recent podcast you've done. You're less going to be caught by the pension tax issue, but you do need to have it on your radar because, you know hopefully one day your income will rise and you'll become consultants and then this will start to catch you. So you may not see it as a problem now, but it's a problem for down the line. People who are already consultants, they've got a couple of issues really because they've got two parts of their scheme which are dealt with separately. Again, if they're high earning At the moment, the 2015 growth alone will probably take them close to that 40,000 limit. But if you look at their legacy schemes, the 95 and 2008 schemes, you remember these are linked to your final pay. And if we again, we look in the context of the recent pay award proposal, which when this goes out, I presume will still be the same where they've been offered 4.5%. Essentially, because their pay is going to go up by 4.5%, their benefits in those old schemes go up by 4.5%. And of course, the Inland Revenue Owing allowing 3.1%. So automatically, they've got a small growth in that 95 scheme. And you may think the small percentages don't make a difference, but they do, because just the way this is multiplied. So every group has to look at it individually. But I said probably the group that least needs to worry is the junior doctor group.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important to point out. Junior doctors definitely got their own issues with paying conditions. But thankfully, the pension is not one at the moment for them. Imagine you're a doctor and you get one of these annual allowance charges. And just to recap, you said that if you have growth in excess of the annual allowance, 40,000 a year, assuming you're not tapered, then you pay tax on that at essentially your marginal rate, which is likely to be 40 or 45%. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Yeah. So it appears as a tax charge within your tax calculation at the end of the year. And you've got to calculate that.
0: Yeah. So imagine you've got a charge for that. What options are open to people to pay it?
1: So there's three options, really, and it depends on your circumstances. The most obvious one is you pay that yourself. So you have to find the money on top of your normal tax to pay this tax over. And not everyone has that money. And particularly, as I said, going back to, you know, we're talking some six-figure growth numbers now, and that therefore means... Tax bills of 20,000, 30,000 could potentially be paid even more in some cases. And clearly not everyone has that kind of money sitting aside to pay it. But some people can pay it themselves. The second option is a more limited one in that some people, particularly again, older doctors may have previously, under different tax rules, been able to build up an investment in a private pension fund. And some private pension funds, if they're set up in, in the correct way, will allow you to pay off your NHS and your allowance tax charge from the funds from within your private pension. And Because of the interaction with things like the lifetime allowance, in some cases, that does make some sense. I would say in that example, though, please do take advice from a professional because it is really important just to get it right. Assuming those two options aren't open to you, then the third option is to go for what's called scheme pays. And basically what the NHS pension will allow you to do is they will pay the tax on your behalf so you don't have to physically pay it out now. That is then rolled up over the rest of your career and each country well particularly scotland does this differently from england so i'm really going to talk about england unfortunately apologies to people in scotland but it's a slightly different system up there but the way it works at the moment is if say the pension station is paid ten thousand pounds over to hmrc on your half what they do is then add an interest cost to that each year and that's based on again based on cpi but it's cpi plus a further adjustment it's called the scape rate which is currently i think 2.4 percent so again, looking at high inflation, 10% September, 2.4%, that's a 12.4% interest charge, which sounds quite sizable. And that builds up over time. And at the end, when you get to take your pension, they see what that cumulative figure is, and then they make an adjustment in your pension and reduce your pension to do that. Now, there's a lot of people that say look, scheme pays is really expensive. And of course, I've just given you an example of you know, 12.4% sounds a ridiculous rate of interest. And you should, you know, you should go and pay this yourself. I think what you have to remember though is remember the fact that your benefits also get increased by inflation plus 1.5% each year. So even though you're getting this interest cost added on each year, actually also your pension is going up partly to match it, not totally. And I know people will have different opinions on that, but there is an element of protection there. So it's kind of, you know, it's if someone physically can't pay the cash, at least they've got an option. So it's not disaster. And I think, you know, the biggest issue by far is just the disconnect because it's actually what this is doing is creating a charge for some people who would never normally have a charge just because inflation's different. And that just doesn't seem fair to me.
0: Yeah, it definitely does not seem fair to me either. Anything else that doctors or anyone should be doing about this now? Like what would you say to them? So a couple of important points. Firstly, having accurate pension records
1: is absolutely crucial to this because if you're trying to do the calculation yourself, it's difficult. But if you're asking an advisor to do it for you, your advisor needs information and you therefore need your base pension record as up to date as possible. Now, again, if you're working in hospital, that to a certain extent is okay at the moment. The hospital admin teams will deal with the pensions agency and things should get updated, but it's always worth checking they've been updated accurately. And, you know, the way you do that is you go, you can get something called a total reward statement. So if you just Google total reward statement NHS, it brings you to the page and that when you log in should bring you up your up-to-date pension record. For GPs, all types of salary GPs, partner GPs, locum GPs, it's slightly more problematic in that you need your pension record up to date. And in England, that's via PCSE. So you have to update it there. And in Wales, Scotland, again, has a different system as does Northern Ireland. I think Scottish records are far more accurate than the English ones. So you need to make sure that your returns are up to date and your returns have been processed. So if you're a GP partner, You've got to complete a type one pension return each year. If you're a salary GP, you've got to complete a type two pension return each year. Generally, what we will find is often salary GPs forget to complete a type two pension form or don't even know they've got to complete one. But if you don't complete it, PCSE won't be able to notify the pensions agency side of what income you've earned that year. So your pension record will not get updated. So it's really important now, more than ever, that people take time out to try and get their pension records updated. You can do that by again if you're a salary GP try and get access to PCSE online your PCSE online portal because it allows you to enter that data and it will also show you the years that are missing if you're a partner GP again through your practice manager who probably liaise with your accountant because it's mainly your accountants that prepare this information so yeah use this time to get that up to date okay the second point I would would just want to talk about is work and extra work I mean, what we don't want to do, and it could potentially do this, is drive behaviour in a way that doesn't actually, and that's by people stopping work or reducing work, suit the NHS or, or suit the general population, which is the real concern with this. I wouldn't rush out to think change things like your GP session, because as I said, hopefully this is a bit of a short-term blip and it will go back to where it was. However, I would be mindful over the next year about looking at additional work that you might plan to do if it's pensionable you know, so that if you are thinking, oh, I fancy going working Saturdays in, you know, an extended access environment or out of hours environment for a few months towards the end of the year, just bear that in mind, particularly if you're in one of those high risk categories of high earners or high pension accrual ones, because all this is going to do is cause your annual allowance to grow even further so just be careful you know if you have got advisors then do please take advice albeit bear in mind that the population now that are covered by this is far greater than it ever was so we are bombarded at the moment with lots of people looking for advice on this and also you know consider supporting some of the more political campaigns around getting this changed it's been an issue for a long long time it's had bad effects on the nhs it's not doing what it's intended to do and if we can get someone in government to understand actually the ultimate thing is we want people to be working now more than ever to get some of these waiting lists down to you know try and expand access in general practice we need people working we don't need people stopping working purely because of pension tax issues
0: yeah And I think you hinted there, there's a few campaigns to try and help fix this. So the BMA are very active about this and have a calculator, which may or may not help you to calculate whether you've got a problem. But I wanted to talk about, if it's all right, you wrote quite a nice letter to the financial secretary to the treasury. And uh, I read it and even I understood the problem having read the letter. So I thought it was a really nice explanation. Now, their response, do you think... We labored this point earlier that annual allowance in a defined benefit pension scheme is not the contributions, it is the growth. And then in their response to you, it says, furthermore, the NHS pension scheme is a defined benefit scheme and 99% of pension savers make annual contributions below 40,000. So they're using that word contributions in the context of talking about a defined benefit scheme. Do you think they get it?
1: I certainly don't think politicians get it, but to be fair, it is quite niche, so it's not surprising they don't get it. I do, you know, behind the scenes, I think there were people within the Treasury who probably do get it. Clearly, the person who responded to that letter, and it was a letter for, on behalf of ASMA, that was, is important to note, ASMA have been writing to various people for years on this. Every so often we write, I can paper my office at home with all the responses from various well-known people these days who were junior ministers back then.
0: I'm surprised you keep the responses in your office and not in your bathroom, if you know uh, what I mean.
1: Yeah. No, no, it's, it's worth reading, Plus, it's also worth reading that actually some of the responses have just moved on each year. They've just copy and pasted from the previous year. But I think we at ASMA, we've raised the issue, this inflation issue. We've talked about options for them, which did coincide with some of the things the BMA put forward, but they were totally independent at the time, to be fair. But when the, the areas we talked about were, you know, trying to align the inflation. So we're actually just using the same inflation on both sides of the equation, which would therefore just mean that the growth is the growth. The second point we talked about is being able to, if it does result in negative growth when inflation drops, being able to use that and move that to offset against the high period of growth. And the third one, which is the one they could potentially do without a lot of hassle, without a lot of legislation change, is back in 1920 in England and Wales. Again, not in Scotland and not in Northern Ireland. We had what was known as a compensation scheme. And the compensation scheme allowed NHS England, NHS Wales, basically if a clinician was caught by annual allowance to encourage people not to stop work because, you know, just purely for tax reasons, what happened in that year If you're caught by annual allowance, you submitted a scheme pays election to the NHS Pensions Agency, that reduces your pension when you retire, but NHS England stroke NHS Wales will then top up your pension at that point in time to what you would have lost. And that just instantly at that point in time, it stopped the behavioural change. People thought, right, I can go and do those waiting list initiatives. I can go and do stuff without the worry of actually I'm going to be hammered for tax. More than ever, that is needed now, you know. And again, that's not just me saying that. That's a load of other pension experts out there saying that. The problem is, though, I think as we've just seen with the pay award, is the Treasury say there is no more money going to the NHS. So even the pay award at the moment that is on offer, in England particularly, isn't covered by the funding that's going into the NHS for that. So if the NHS want to do this, the NHS are going to have to fund it themselves, and that's problematic. It doesn't help when people clearly respond on behalf of the Treasury in a way that doesn't seem to grasp the rules. And to me, that just indicates that you know, perhaps it's been written by a junior person who's been asked to respond to multiple letters. There are people in the Treasury who do understand the rules, to be fair. And the other issue at the moment is just the political side. You know, the problem is, ultimately, if change is going to happen, it is politically led. And we have a situation at the moment where politics and Westminster are really in paralysis at the moment, whilst we have a change of leadership at the top of the Conservative Party and a change of prime minister, and maybe ultimately an election in the winter could well come. So it needs to have that political desire to change this. And I'm not sure that's there at the moment this time around. And I think that's quite sad because it's going to cause some quite significant problems.
0: Well, I mean, I was going to ask you if there's any good news about this one, but I kind of feel like there might not be.
1: Well, I think what you have to go back is the basics here. And don't forget the basics is that the NHS pension scheme is still an exceptionally good pension scheme for the majority of people in the NHS. So, you know, again, all your nurses, your GP staff, your hospital porters, etc. You know, they are not going to be affected by this. Junior doctors at the moment won't be affected by this. So the pension scheme is very good. It gives you a good investment, which is inflation protected and has lots of ancillary benefits around ill health retirement and death in service benefits. So from that perspective, it is still an excellent scheme. You know, part of the problem why this problem is happening is because it's inflation protected. So, you know, let's not forget that. But actually, you've got to have good reason to pull out the scheme. And some people will do, particularly, again, those 200,000 plus earners. It's a bigger issue for them. If you're in a private pension scheme at the moment, the stock market is down 15, 20 percent at the moment from where they were this time last year. So your private pension is down. So it will go back up again. It's a long term investment. But I, I hope it would do. Otherwise, I'll be speaking to my financial advisor. But yes, you're protected from those vagaries. And, you know, it is matching inflation. So that's the positive. This is a, you know, it's a really good scheme, but it's just the mechanics of the legislation just don't work very well with it. It's the problem.
0: Yeah, it's just got so complex. But I think that's a really important point to hold on to that at the start. Andy said if he could join the NHS pension instead of his private pension, he would love to. And yeah, my wife has a private pension and uh, her retirement fund just dropped by 20% in the last sort of three to four months. Whereas NHS pensioners have a kind of opposite problem, albeit more complicated. Andy, thank you so much for your time and expertise on this. Do you want to put your contact details on or?
1: Yeah, you can always contact me, andrew.pow at mazars.co.uk, or if you're on Twitter at medic accountant. Yeah
0: perfect and i might put the link to your letter and the response in the show notes if that's all right because it's an interesting read
1: yeah it sets out the reasons why we think it should happen and sets out the response i think it's been widely tweeted by the bma as well so for those of you who follow a certain person on twitter he's picked up on it quite well
0: perfect all right well thanks for your time andy and look forward to catching up with you very soon okay cheerio